So welcome. It's great to be having this guest on. Um, and do check us out every week, every Wednesday, we'll be releasing new episodes of women, just everyday women, just like me and you, um, hearing their stories, hearing their journey, they're just having real, real conversations. So please check us out every week uh, from 8pm on Wednesday uh, for women working well, uh, real talk. Let's get straight into it and introduce our first guest. Welcome, welcome to our fourth segment of Women Working Well Real Talk, your host Atten Henshaw. We have a lovely guest uh, this morning. Uh, we have the lovely Iang Moran. Good morning, Iang. Good morning, Atten. <laughs> How are you? I'm doing great. Uh, so we're going to kick off with my first question that I ask all my guests is how many hats uh, do you wear? All right. Okay. So actually, first and foremost, it's actually great to be here. Um, you know, have a chance to talk about myself. <laughs> but, yeah. Um, so how many hats do I wear? I wear a daughter hat. I'm a sister. Um, and then um, I don't want to call myself a workaholic, but um, <laughs> career woman. Yes, yeah, so I'm an education specialist, education management specialist. So uh, pretty much education programs, um, country manager, um, I don't know, my friend to loads of people and acquaintance to many more people. Um, yeah, facilitator of um, you know, stakeholder engagement and stuff. Like that. So I think I'm counting roughly seven or eight. I think let's say let's just round it up to like eight hats. That's really good. That's really really good. Thanks for sharing. So I'm sure our listeners are dying to know who Yang Yang is all about. So please do tell us a bit about yourself, what you do, how long you've been doing it, and what you love about what you do. Okay, so Yang um, Maren is an education program specialist. Um, Essentially, I work in programs design and management for education. So these are largely um, programs that are designed as interventions. So things that you would have um, NGOs carry out, uh, whether it's in a state or school. Um, generally, things that are meant to be programs that are meant to be interventions uh, for an education sector in a country. So. In this instance, I work in Nigeria. Uh, so often what I would do would have influence on um, achievement levels, so learning outcomes for children. So whether it's literacy or numeracy programs, um, teacher training programs, teacher development programs practically, um, assessments, you know, things that are generally supposed to make the education sector you know, quite better moving bits and pieces so the education sector is not like a health sector where you take a pill and then you know a few minutes after you can say yay i'm feeling better the education sector takes a while to, you know, for you to have change happen but yeah i'm part of that change process right. essentially that's what i do every day <laughs> and how long have you been doing that um so in terms of education programming i have been doing this or, um, I mean, if I ventured into, so I have a financial background, um, 
economics and finance background from BSc levels or graduate levels. Um, then, you know, I started doing um, classroom teaching as part of my mandatory service service year. So youth service, um, National Youth Service Corps in Nigeria. So I was a teacher in that era. So I would always count that era when I started <laughs> venturing into education. But after that, I went into, I worked in a bank, um, in the HR department. So kind of like human resource, uh, people management thing, which I think still boils down to kind of like a bit of training and um, being involved in people development. Uh, then now went into actual full-time education programming I would say six years ago now or seven years ago now. So tell us just some of the things that you love about what you do as an education specialist. Um, So I think for me, uh, when I wake up, so I have a couple of pictures that I take from the field. So field, when I say field, it's like distant schools. Those are what I'll call field, you know, field work. Um, when I see changes in children by virtue of the programs that um, I'm supporting or I'm working on, I think that gives me some level of joy. Um, you know, when people think about what's the purpose for my life, when I wake up, what makes, what drives me. And you know, there was a time I kept thinking about that. And that was before I, I decided to do education programming full time. Um, so I used to think about what would make me sleep well at night and not feel like um, I'm not achieving some kind of purpose. But then with this, I see a child. So regardless of uh, whatever, because a lot of the times education programs don't run very smoothly, they are very creative. So for instance, imagine what COVID-19 has done to the education sector. Um, but then when you go to the classroom and see that a child, by virtue of the program that you are running in the school is able to do something that a few weeks prior to that time you couldn't do that gives me great joy so i'm happy when i see nice and with some of your work in the education sector are you working directly with governments or are you working as part of a, a, a charitable team or foundation or international dependent what how how does that whole work so currently i work with um a non-governmental organization um which is based outside of Nigeria, but then obviously I'm running the, the Nigerian programs. I supervise the Nigerian programs, and we currently have programs running in the northeast, uh, some northeastern states and northwestern states in Nigeria. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, I work as part of the organization, but then we work directly with government, and in some instances we work with um, other organizations that are involved in the program. Um, so basically, you know, organizations like UNICEF um, and a number of other NGOs. But essentially, the, gov- the programs are largely always embedded within the public school sector. So we're working with government directly in all of these programs at you know, different points in time. Right. Um, yeah, because obviously, you know, that's where the gap is. A lot of private schools probably get the kids to do certain things well, but then if you really want to see bigger change, then the public sector is, mm. uh, the public schools is where you would find room for a lot of development needs. Um, yeah. Where you find room for improvement, yeah, you really need to, that's where the need is actually. 
yeah. so the need is largely in the public school sector in Nigeria so yeah and just to kind of give our, our listeners just a I guess you know some top line kind of figures in terms of how you know what the state of play is in terms of just the public sector school and education currently in Nigeria or particularly in the northeast where you work what's just give us some headline figures or some stats if that's helpful so for the Northeast, for instance, you know that uh, most of the states, a number of states in the Northeast have been plagued by terrorism issues, um, you know, the Boko Haram cases. And then across the North, we're having this increasing rate of um, banditry and kidnapping, you know, kidnapping that's happening. And oftentimes would hear stories of kids being kidnapped in schools, which would then lead to the government closing down schools or the parents pulling kids out of school. So, uh, I mean, before we used to say, um, I think previous data that maybe 2014 or 2017 or 18 was saying we had about 13,000 kids who are out of school in the largely in the northern area of Nigeria. And some of these factors contribute to that happening. You know, terrorism happening, um, contribute to a lot of kids being out of school. Um, and then generally, you know, some of the old traditional structures also have, so for instance, girl education in the north, you know, it has been an ongoing battle to get parents to send more, you know, send the girl child to school. So that's still something that um, it's like a tussle between tradition, old age tradition and um you know, the benefit of education. So we're winning the battles in bits and pieces, but we're talking of millions of kids yeah. who are not um, ha- who do not have access, yeah, to yeah. education, and yeah. Mm. So it's a lot of kids to work with there. Actually. Wow! Thanks for sharing that. So let's just just take us back um, your journey. From when you started, i.e. when you graduated school, and then to where you are right now, what did that journey look like? Um, so I think, okay, so, <laughs> all right, um, well, like I mentioned earlier, my first degree was uh, in economics. So at that point, all I wanted to do was you know, get a degree, get a job, and just you know, move on. <laughs> <laughs> And then I think what actually changed the trajectory for me at that point was getting engaged in um, a youth organization in uni, which was called, uh, it's still called ISEC. So ISEC is a global uh, student organization at um, you know most universities. I think it's in over 100 countries, about pretty much almost all the countries of the world, actually. Can you just help us, what does um, ISEC stand for? Okay, so ISEC used to be an acronym, but now it's just a name, so it's a French acronym. I don't want oh, to go into it. Initially, it was uh, like the English translation would have been Association of um, Interna- International Association of Students of Sciences and Commercials or something like that. So, but then now it has retained the name as you know, a whole name, not as an abbreviation anymore. So it's just ISEC now. Um, so my experience with ISEC, and actually joined ISEC just a few, you know, as I was about getting out, exiting from uni. But then the experience, I think ISEC actually opened my eyes to the global 
space. It was the platform where I attended the first conference, international conference. I went to Turkey in that year, where we had an international conference. But prior to that, I remember one thing that really struck me was we had this um, seminar, like a development seminar um, conference within the country. One, I think, actually, that's also where my traveling started, even within Nigeria. <laughs> uh, so I, I attended this development conference where I remember, like I can't forget, I remember the particular session, it was like a self-awareness session where the Johari window was used as the tool for that session. So it kind of like brought out, it made me more aware of some of the things that were part of me that I probably you know, wasn't aware of them before that time. And then generally also offered me an opportunity, the organization offered me an opportunity to take a leadership role. So I, yeah, so that was where I became the, like a local committee president. So you call them LCPs. So like president of the, the committee in my university at that point. And, you know, just generally that exposure to the global space was one of the things. And then, then it was the Millennium Development Goals. So it was also one of the things because the UN is one of the global partners of ISEC. So we got involved in thinking through different aspects of Millennium Development Goals. Um, so that's where my interest in education as a means of um, changing lives on a global basis came about. Prior to that, I've always loved um, education. And I think at some point I thought about myself actually venturing into like an NGO. Um, that actually came as a result of this whole MDG that I got to know <laughs> through ISEC. But that was the awakening point for me, um, you know, awakening my interest in education at the global level or, you know, just generally beyond just me going to school and having my own education sorted out. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, yeah, they're thinking about it in terms of other people. So that's where it started. But then I already, I mean, I was already studying economics. So <laughs> it was about finishing the, getting a job in a bank or, you know, working. But after that, I got a job in the bank afterwards. Um, so I worked in the bank. I did um, a master's in financial management again. Even though what I was doing in the bank was in human resources, but I... I still felt like I wanted to go back to like financial advisory. But then at that point, I felt, okay, why wait till then? Why not just switch mm-hmm. careers? Why not switch careers now? And it's probably going to also give you more uh, sense of fulfillment mm-hmm. than just making money by doing transactionary services, kind of. Um, so I went back to do a master's. In this is master number three? No, two. So my first degree was economics, and then I did uh, the master's in finance, yeah. financial management, and then uh, the second master's was the one for educational planning uh, to prepare me more for um, the life of, of an education programmer. Yeah. So that's how I got to this point. So I did the <laughs> master's, and then I moved on to working on, and I started working on programs and projects for education. Yeah, that's and how I got here. And you, and just so you listeners know, Iang is a country manager, country director. Which, which is your title? Is it country manager or country director? Which one is it? <laughs> it means the same thing, Abi. 
Well, it depends on how you want to be. <laughs> manager. So for those who do not know the level of seniority country managers or directors are, they are the boss of every country program. So Yang is the boss. Just let's just no, I can't, drop I can't, that I can't, mic like, there. <laughs> <laughs> So I feel like uh, I feel like I'm um, what's it called? I feel like I'm a, just a senior program manager kind of because <laughs> you know there's a lot of uh, on the ground things to do as against just sitting in one place and doing strategic um, leadership stuff. So I'm doing pretty much uh, program management versus project management. Project is when you have just one project, right? Program is when you have multiple projects. Yeah, but, yeah, but it's a fun experience actually, generally. Nice, thank you. So, what would you say some of the things that you know just keeps you motivated, drives you, feeds you? What are some of the things you say keeps you going? So, I think one of the things with this sector is that um, I was even having a conversation with someone yesterday about the difference between. Um, I don't even know the PMD Pro, so Project Management for Development, which is a certification, and Project Management, like PMP, right? <laughs> and, you know, the person, so there's the thing, the PMP is for controlled environment, right? So, for instance, uh, construction, you know, this has to be done at this time, and it can it's easy to achieve that because it's really quite straightforward, mm-hmm. right? Um, if you're ordering stuff from your supplier, you're going to have it at this time and you put 10, 10 bags of cement in here, you'd get the, the concrete floor and whatever. But then with managing projects for development, it is so, so iterative. I feel like you really can't get bored <laughs> because there's always something stretching you every other time. So something keeps popping up Maybe you're talking to a government stakeholder today and everything's going fine. You've got to buy in. And tomorrow he's changed. And you get a new... <laughs> and you get a new uh, commissioner or a new uh, chairman of some board and you have to start. feels like you have to start all over again. And imagine that he doesn't like your program. So there's a different approach you have to apply to get him to buy into your program. Or you know, just different ways, and I think it's so fluid. It just keeps your mind going, and just one of that can. I like to learn. I like to. I feel like um, I remember one time I had. Um, I think it was part of a training, part of a training where somebody said. I think the trainer said something about brain atrophy. You know, like if you don't do not exercise your brain. At some point, it starts to atrophy, kind of. What does atrophy mean? Like, like it starts to either break down or um, how would I put it? You know what? Let's just check the definition of this. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I think I know what you what you mean. As in, like if you don't keep your yeah. your brain, it's like you know working out. If you don't keep moving or active, then obviously exactly yeah. So it starts so it, it starts wasting away. Yeah. You know, like uh, so wasting away or they call it diminution. So something like that. And so I've always felt like the more knowledge you get, you know, the stronger the opportunities for you to last longer, right? Mm. In terms of 
I, I hate to feel like I, do, I don't have sufficient information. <laughs> <laughs> but there is Google. <laughs> exactly. Thank God for Google, right? <laughs> so I just see there's always a lot of learning that happens in this space. So you, and you just keep stretching yourself, um, learning more, you know, stretching, building on, you know, building every day, kind of, because um, with managing program in the development sector, you have so many things thrown at you, and so you have to think on the move. So I like um, that. I like that very much. I don't like a situation where I have to, <laughs> you know, be doing the same thing over and over again, and at some point it becomes mundane or you know too too routine too, too yeah too routine so yeah that's one of the things it gives me that excitement when yeah. there's something new to do and I think that's important for any role or career that you're occupying like that the role just keeps varied because it keeps you on your toes and right you, like you said mm. you keep learning you keep growing um, and it's just it's an opportunity for you to continue to expand as an individual and have I think you'd have to agree with me that not everybody would like this whole different, you know, different things happening. I mean, if you remember, some of our parents actually did the same job for 35 years. Yeah. <laughs> no, because back then it was different. Though. Back then it was just, it was just a blessing to have a job. At the end of the day. But now yeah, I think this, and... this our millennial um, period, we just like to jump here and jump where opportunity knocks. Let's just go. Let's go. Yeah, <laughs> No, I think for us, it's the case of something that keeps you excited. Yeah. You know, there's some people who are excited at the onset, and then after a while, they just have, like, that feeling, and like, well, as long as it pays the bills, you know. Well, you touched on something earlier about fulfillment, and I think that's where we're at in terms of just, you know, our generation. Like, we are seeking for that higher purpose that thing that just fulfills us that keeps us going that keeps us you know yeah. wanting to come to work every day um, exactly so and but I, and I, I think we're also like, but sometimes i also feel like you know the emotional aspect of it makes it feel like a mirage sometimes because or like you have a horizon where as you approach it it shifts it keeps shifting so we shift the bar mm. of our own expectations every yeah. other day right okay so i'm aiming to do this and then i get to the point where then i'm like okay i'm at the summit i'm like yay I'm, you know i'm feeling great well, that's a good thing and then, no it's a good thing definitely yeah. and then you turn around and then you see another mountain you're like yeah that's the one i want to climb now you know so kilimanjaro <laughs> exactly and everest and, yeah <laughs> Oh, that's great. Um, so, what would you say some of the lessons you have learned along the way, and some of the challenges that you may have had that you would like to share? So, I think I live. Um, I work in an environment where diplomacy is really, really. really is really um, what? Sorry. Okay. Really paramount. Really, really important. Diplomacy not just to people who are stakeholders or people who are above you, but diplomacy even with the people you work with, you know, who are probably like junior younger staff mm-hmm. within the organization. Um, you know, I've had people say, you know, I've heard stories of you know, terrible bosses, um, but I think if you, it's really essential that you understand that everybody's important. Because if the person 
that you think you're shouting at drops the ball, it's going to affect you. Mm. Except you're ready to, you know, do the job that the person, um, the younger staff is supposed to do. But essentially, everybody is equally important in the scheme of, um, you know, productivity or just achieving the goals that you're looking at. And then also, um, you know, when we always talk about participatory engagement, everything should be participatory. I think that's also very essential because you don't want to move forward with certain things and get to a point and then people are like, oh, I had no clue what you were doing. So, you know, I'm not, <laughs> I'm not down with it. So you need to carry people along from, you know, from the beginning up until to the end as much as possible. I think sometimes it's the case of lip service, but in some, you know, in, as often as you do it, you get to the point that people would believe and um, buy into what you're doing from the onset. Yeah. Um, and then essentially, just uh, I think one of the things for us is believing that you can do so. New things come up, right? And then you probably feel like, okay, I don't think I'm prepared for this, but that openness, that open mind to learning. So there are certain things, thank God for internet now, right? Um, <laughs> there are things that could come drop on you and you had no clue how to do it, but then I think it was Branson who said it. If you're given a role, accept it and then figure out if you can do it. <laughs> Even if you don't think you can do it. Yeah, you know? yeah. um, so we live in a world of opportunities, you know, knowledge opportunities. So I think as long as you're conscious of that there's there's nothing you can't do like mm. everything is possible yeah. pretty much everything is possible um, there's very little room for you to say no I can't do this there's no way this is going to work like if multiple I'm doing this that something can work so yeah um, yeah it's just being able to explore all of that and also be flexible you also have to be flexible. As long as you're achieving the goal, uh, there are multiple routes to get to it. Yeah. yeah. So what would you say some of the challenges have been in your journey today? So for me, sometimes, yeah, as a woman, you know, there's been, you know, that, that you face that pretty much of thing. Um, where there are certain places where because you're a woman, there's something they would say to you. Uh, they would probably say to your colleague who is male, and then they would say to you, <laughs> you know. Um, but I think a number of people, I'm not, uh, so I feel like if I want if I want to be heard, I can be heard. Like I try to make, you know, I try as much as possible to ensure that when I'm in the room, I'm making sense when I talk. <laughs> so, <laughs> um, so then you feel more comfortable talking to me because obviously I come with some knowledge abilities. And as much as possible, I have uh, colleagues who are meals. Like I have a team of, we have a team of about eight people now. Yeah, only two of us are females. <laughs> so I have, every other person is male, you know, is a man in my team. But I'm not hiding knowledge because I want to be known only for that knowledge that I hold, but I have to ensure that at some point you should be talking the way I would talk in a room, right? So, um, 
it's been, it, you know, it could be a challenge in some instances where, you know, for acceptability, but then I think the world generally is coming to terms with the role of women being as effective as men are. And I think my second challenge is often language, language barrier. And I, because, you know, for instance, if you're communicating, there are certain things that you say in a local language that, you know, would strike a chord, that would make someone grasp the context in which you are saying something as a gay person trying to say it in English, especially when you are in communities where English is not um, the first language, it's not the first language. Um, so you would always have that challenge where someone will have to interpret to you what this person is saying, mm-hmm. but you know what happens, just some, some information gets lost yeah. in, that, in that interpretation, you know, loop. Um, yeah, so I think those are like huge challenges, and then I mean, that's like a field level kind of challenge, right? Um, and I think sometimes within the country, our policies are a bit conflicting. Um, or not conflicting. So we have good policies, right? We have policies that spell out certain things. But the problem is the implementation, whether it's at national level or state level, always leave room for, you know, for challenges for anybody who wants to work within that space. because. You're there trying to do something, and then someone could say, "Oh, the policy says this, this, this." But then I'm like, "You're not doing the policy, mm. right? You're not doing what the policy says." And I'm here trying to tell you that um, you could do it this way, you know, and still achieve what the policy says, you know. But then, you know, we live also in a society where there's a lot of um, institutional barriers where maybe things had already been set in stone and you know the people who are working in that space need to keep certain things the way they are but there obviously there are rules and laws that have been to be in place to guide action mm. but if you're not implementing you know if you're not implementing it you also do not make room for you to even learn yeah. and change because it also has to be you know, adaptable to current circumstances, but sometimes yeah. that doesn't that adaptability doesn't happen fast enough. So, what would you say to uh, somebody who would love to get into this NGO sector field, program field? Uh, would you say? Uh, one would be drop the um, savior mentality. I would say, you know, you know, some people come into the development sector and feel like they're going to save everyone in the world. Okay. So for me, uh, for instance, I'm happy when I see one or two kids, but then I want more kids, obviously, to to finish primary school, for instance, with basic literacy and numeracy skills, right? Mm-hmm. But I'm also aware of the fact that I can't do it. I might not be able to do it for all the kids in the world. You know, um, and then I think some other people, some people also feel like everything works smoothly. That because you have your course is genuine, like you want to create change, that everybody, like everybody, should want to see this change in education, should want to see these learning outcomes improve. But to be honest, there's some people who don't care, mm. and it could be frustrating for you to find out that some people you think should care actually don't care yeah right and i think sometimes that can be demotivating so people need to be prepared in their mind that everybody's not going to say yes oh you have a fantastic idea let's run with it yeah. you're gonna have people who will be like 
oh yeah, let's run with it. But then behind you, they're like, he's wasting his time or she's wasting her time, kind of. Um, so just having that mindset that we uh, need to be kind of like resilient. I think working in this sector needs a lot of resilience mentally um, and I think physically maybe. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, a lot of mental resilience for you to just, it's a case of saying um, if you've made up your mind that this is what you want to do, just also have at the back. So you don't get depressed because certain things are going to come that would be quite demotivating. But you have to make up your mind that, you know, I'm going to see this through um, and I'm going to remain positive. Mm. Because once you start getting into the negative, negative like I have a friend who's <laughs> within the development sector as well. And some of the things that she's saying, she's like, you know what, I'm probably just going to leave this sector, go and start a better breakfast <laughs> or do an MBA. <laughs> And just had a better breakfast, you know, uh, because you know, certain things would really be demotivating. So you have to be really, really tough and resilient. Yeah. yeah. Thank you. So, what would you say your legacy? What would you like your legacy to be? Have you thought of that? Oh. This is my final question, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> um, I just want to. I think one of the things that I'm trying to do now is. Um, try and support other people who are thinking of running education programs. Right. Um, so what I did at a small scale level, at a you know, local community level, just being able to do that with you know, being structured about it. So I'm trying to live in a way that I'm not the only one who has we should be thinking about this by getting more people to think about it. I think about the need for every child to be educated or at least to have basic literacy and numeracy skills. But also at this point, I'm also kind of like support, trying to support people too in terms of youth development, leadership skills, development, but generally um, things that are supposed to empower young people and children. Mm-hmm. So I don't want to leave just me doing all of that, but then getting more people uh, supporting more people to do that. So I think for me, that's um, that's where I, what I think as a legacy at this point. Maybe in two or three years, then I'll think about a different kind of legacy. <laughs> um, but yeah. Great. Okay. Well, that's all we have time for, Iyang. Thank you so much. I think this is great. Just taking a you know a, a walk through your life and just some of the think the journey that you've been on. I think it's been really really good to share. And I'm hoping that those who are listening. Uh, are encouraged are inspired um, and just you know get a nice little snapshot into NGO life and uh, what's happening all in northwest of uh, Nigeria (laughs) (laughs) great thank you so much Iyag speak to you soon take care take care bye and for those who would like to get in touch with us, please do reach out to us. We're currently on Instagram and Facebook. Our Instagram handle is at www.realtalk and our Facebook handle is Women Working Well. Uh, so do search us. Um, we would love to hear from you. Do comment, like, share, share again to your networks. Um, we do want to hear from you. So until next time, this is your host, Atten Henshaw, and we're signing out from Women Working Well. Have a great rest of the week. Take care.